Join me as I highlight small businesses in the craft industry with interviews on-site at distilleries, breweries, and more. This podcast is all about getting to know the people behind the craft, celebrating their hard work, and of course, having a few samples along the way. Welcome to Crafted Conversations. In this episode, I had the pleasure of visiting the beautiful veteran-owned Tobacco Barn Distillery in Hollywood, Maryland, and sat down with the trio behind it all, Dan, Sean, and Scott. Tobacco Barn is a true ground-to-glass distillery growing the corn used in their whiskey right there on the farm. Ground-to-glass recently paid off when in 2023, Tobacco Barn was named America's Best Farm Distillery by the American Craft Spirits Association, earning them a proud visit from Maryland Governor Wes Moore to celebrate their achievement. I'm truly appreciative of the guys for having me, and I look forward to returning soon. If you enjoyed this episode and others we've done, I'd appreciate it if you followed us on social media. Also, be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. We currently stream on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and others. And soon we'll be doing a full video format, so stay tuned. Cheers. All right, so Scott, Sean, Dan, I'm here at the Tobacco Barn Distillery with you guys on site. And I'm excited to try some of your stuff. And I haven't heard about you until I found you on Google and moved here. So uh, tell me about your distillery. Tell me, thanks for having me, but tell me about yourselves. Um, I'm really interested to know your story. So uh, we're in the tasting room right now. The distillery is about a thousand yards down the other side of that field. And the distillery was actually built in an old goat barn that my dad and I put together. And we never put any goats in it. Uh, as Sean said, when he was cleaning it up, it was a snake storage facility primarily. And we turned a little tiny 900 square foot um, double decker barn into our distillery. But we're up in the tasting room right now because uh, we're actually running today. My wife's running the stills and it's kind of nasty down there right now. The, um, I guess the idea to, to start a distillery happened back around 2013 or 14 timeframe. And actually I wasn't part of that initial discussion. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let these guys talk about that because it's kind of a fun story to how we kick this all <laughs> off. But forewarning, we've all worked together uh, for over 30 years. So we've known each other um, all our adult lives. Well, that's cool. For the good and bad, I'm sure. Yeah, for the good and bad. <laughs> it's a, we've, uh, we're all um, scotch and bourbon drinkers, uh, good friends for a long time, worked for the same company. I was in the reserves and uh, I ended up being the, uh, I ended up commanding the International Counter Piracy Task Force off Somalia for six months. Oh, wow. So doing that, <clears throat> I, uh, it, US Navy, they spend billions of dollars on stuff and they're cheapskates when it comes to gifts. So I would be getting these very lavish gifts from international navies and I'd give them a ship's ball cap. And I just embarrassed. So I uh, I went out of my own pocket, bought four cases of bourbon. And I'd sign them over to you. Thanks for uh, helping fight pirates, love and kisses, Admiral Sand. Boom. So they told Donna Shea, I became immensely popular in the Gulf of Aden for the next six months. So I've been on Chinese warships three times. Not not many people have, including Chinese people. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been on everybody's ships doing that because they always want another bottle of bourbon. So I came back and we're in Sean's office. We're yucking it up. I would, uh, we called it debriefing in Sean's office because he's our security officer. We would, uh, we were required because it was mandatory 
to have either some scotch or bourbon in there. And Dan goes, well, you know, I had, I distilled this stuff back when I was in high school. You know, he had the number three license in America to turn corn at ethanol during the fuel crisis. And so we're yucking up and then, eh, then we kind of, Dan left and over some time, Sean and I devised a devious plan and uh, he ordered what he calls the uh, Bourbon Master 5000 off of Amazon. And because if you can order off of Amazon, it's gotta be legal. So, uh, Sean, I'm going to let you finish that story about one where, but the key thing to that was he used his credit card, not mine, because I was still in the Navy at that point, and I didn't want any of this coming down on me. Yeah, so um, uh, Scott's a, I'm not going to say evil genius. We'll just leave it at evil, uh, because he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, so we did. We went out and ordered the uh, Bourbon Master 5000. And it shows up at work, uh, and we dutifully uh, unpacked it, plugged it in, and we're getting ready to run it. But uh, somewhere in the packaging, it has a disclaimer that says, uh, if you're making distilled spirits in America, it's illegal. And I'm thinking, what, what, what America are they talking about? Because my America, you, you can do this. And because um, I knew Dan had been making wine for, you know, a dozen years or so. And uh, I've made beer at home, so certainly you can make distilled spirits. Well, so I go upstairs and uh, bang on the keyboard, and yeah, it's illegal. <laughs> and uh, so, because of what we do, you know, that's that's kind of frowned upon, committing a felony. And uh, so we sent the uh, we sent everything back. And to uh, in the interest of time, we'll just say that we got uh, later we got our first cease and desist. Well, at least my first cease and desist letter from the uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, saying, you know, this is why you're going to go to jail. And so the three of us are sitting around and now we're laughing about it because we've gotten everything cleaned up with the government. And then Dan is just chiding us up one side and down the other about everybody knows it's illegal. And me and Scott are like, well, we don't know. And um, so then Dan says, hey, you know, I got all this corn. It's either gonna be chicken feed over on the Eastern shore or we can turn it into bourbon. And that's kind of how it lit yeah. the fuse. I don't think there was a lot of additional thought in that. Um, there may have been some alcohol involved in the go forward decision and we had no off ramps really. So here we are, um, 10 years later. Well, we did a lot of what we call industry survey or <laughs> our wives call that heavy drinking, but we did, we did go to a lot of other distilleries because you can, you can go broke real quick in this. So you, it's, it's a little bit more than a casual kind of thing. So we did do some due diligence and we have a business plan and put it together there because there's, as I was saying earlier, there's been three distilleries. In fact, the first one in Maryland's gone under since we started. I'm curious too, because the business is so volatile. I mean, it, to me, my, <laughs> my friends and I have talked about opening up, uh, and by the way, I love the name. I'm a big cigar guy. So that was another common theme. <laughs> well, oh, good. Sort of. But no, I, uh, we, we've talked about maybe opening up a, a cigar lounge that has a distillery in the back. I don't know where that would happen. I'm sure every state has their weird laws about it, but it starts as a hobby, right? And then you realize, ooh, it costs money. Are we breaking even? Do we have an income separate than that? So did you run into that? Or it's like, how do we separate the, the desire to have a hobby and enjoy our company together versus breaking even or making money off of the distillery? Well, I think you'd get three answers, um, depending on 
who you asked the question. By the way, we're called Tobacco Barn Distillery. Full disclosure, this was a tobacco farm. I grew up raising tobacco. And so that, that barn out there dates back to about 1815, 1817. Wow. So um, this, this land has been in, in tobacco up until the, um, the big buyout in the early 80s, which we never took. So occasionally I plant a little tobacco out here just uh, to amuse people and see what it looks like. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, th I think that, as, as Scott said, we did do a business plan. We looked at really, really what we wanted to do. And in my mind, you have to get to a certain level of uh, quantity to actually get to the level of quality that you're looking for. Sure. And... Uh, I think we, we kind of snapped the chalk in where we could go. I, full disclosure, we probably should have started this about 20 years earlier. <laughs> and uh, so we, we kind of, we've designed and optimized the system to make about as much bourbon as we can make, given the constraints of the size of our facility and our advanced years, uh, which puts us in a, in a really weird niche. I mean, we make about, we make 100 barrels of bourbon a year. That's pretty um, good. Two, two barrels, two barrels a week. So um, we could double that capacity with our still, but I don't have enough hours in the day to do that. Sure. So we just kind of, at least I dialed into a concept of, let's just make the best bourbon we can. Um, and if it's 100 barrels, it's 100 barrels. So yeah. that's my part of the story, but. And we don't, uh, don't worry, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, <laughs> we're not in the black. So, I mean, we've been, this will be up. We started distilling in 2015. So in December, it will be eight years. Um, the, now, there's a lot of different business models. There, none of them are right or wrong, but our, we don't source. Uh, we didn't start, you know, we've never made gin or vodka or anything. So nothing wrong with that. It's just that we wanted, and we want to do it all ourselves. So we grow the corn to make our bourbon. And um, so right now, we're only releasing two barrels a month out of the eight we make. Wow. So we're not making money. And so um, now we might, maybe in two years, uh, don't tell our wives that. I've already told them we are. So we uh, <clears throat> the we might get, we'll get there. Um, we sell every bottle we make because we, we're about making a high quality. Sure. But it's, uh, you know, you can't, and we all still have day jobs. Or I've recently retired. Dan will be retiring here sometime in the near future. So. This is not for the faint of heart. It, it takes a lot of money to get going. No, I'm sure. I I do wonder too, because you made mention of the sourcing and, and how you started. Was that a calculated decision that you wanted? Is just, this is made by us. This is what our brand is. Have you thought about going into the white spirit route? Do you have, have you thought about selling your white dog at all just to show what? You know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> funny, yeah, we, uh, no, we, we kind of, we're never going to source. Um, yeah, I just I grew up as a farm family, and we just made everything. I, we still butcher hogs, you know. We made beer, we made wine, um, all kinds of stuff. So the the thought of of buying a really good MGP product and putting it in our label didn't fit our business plan. I, you know, no no bad things about MGP. It may make some really good juice, um, but it just wasn't what we were going to do. Well, and and I think, and I can't remember. Um, if it was Becky or District Made, it's a different thing. So, I mean, we we have a hybrid still. You know, it's kind of a pot still with a four-foot deflamator column or whatever. So, it's a different thing than coming off a column. It's just too different. It's like, yeah. they're not, it's not the same product. And so, 
you're not going to get that sourcing from MGP. I, I actually, Dan was like, hey, what's this? I got some, I've got a box from MGP. I said, well, I want to see what it tastes like. Because we ordered some five and six year Ryan bourbon. Because I said, I said, hey, can I have a sample? <laughs> and they sent it to us. We wanted to try and see it. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's good stuff. Yeah, but one is it? It's yeah. their own. The one thing, though, that, that kind of made us change things. You're pointing at something. Oh, yeah, that's my wife bringing up the loader. Uh, so I said, when you're finished with the loader, bring it up so I can get the barrels. But the one thing that, that really put us down a special path was the way we distill and, and mash and ferment really precludes uh, blending. So we are, you know, by kind of definition in the single barrel club. And, and as a distiller, you have to make decisions six years in advance, seven years in advance to how you're taking cuts. Uh, all of that plays out because I don't have the luxury of pulling a thousand barrels off and mixing and matching to get that kind of consistency. I got to build it in up front. Right. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's cool. I mean, part of that too is probably experimental, right? You're learning that on the fly. Yeah, you know, the, the mash bill hasn't changed really since the beginning of, of our time. And it was mostly driven by my OCD nature to keep the mass simple. I'd like to say that we tried a whole bunch of different mash bills, but we knew we wanted to, to have a really significant rye back note in our bourbon. Um, we, we, we all like that in our bourbon. And if you're going to make it, why not make something you like? Yeah. And we also want to tip the hat to... Uh, well, you, you, you say know. you like old granddad. Yeah. So Basil Hayden. Yeah. Basil Hayden was born about 12 miles out. Yes, sir. So, and his yeah. farm was down at what's called Ridge. It's about twenty miles south. So, <clears throat> the uh, you know he was making a corn and rye something. It wasn't anything by today's protocols because right. he was using uh, he had Indian corn and they had rye. Every you had rye. So, uh, but if you had a cleared field, you were growing tobacco because that was an IQ test back then. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Virginia, Maryland were all one crop economies back then. It was tobacco. Sure. And uh, if you had a cleared field, you were growing tobacco. And then when the field fell out, you burned some more trees down and made another field. And throw some rye in. So, yeah, you, you know, you were going to have rye anyway. Yeah, a, I know rye is a big cover crop. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's winter. Right. Um, well, well, so when you guys started, did you did you know how to do the thing? Or did it was it just a trial by error? No, there was actually... Uh, Back in the, the, the second Gulf um, gas crisis, so yeah. this 1979, I had started distilling uh, mostly because I had a really nice um, car that drank a lot of gas. And uh, so it was kind of an interest uh, of mine to engineer uh, cars to burn ethanol and that sort of thing. So I, I, long story short, I spent about a year under a contract um, that I had with the St. Mary's County government to develop alcohol fuel technology. This is pre-internet, you know, so it's basically I was I was running around talking to local moonshiners, which is not how you want to build a, a good still, by the way. I'm putting it out there. And, and for a while, they thought I was the cooperative extension agent for moonshining. I get these people calling up saying they get a stuck mash. Could I come out and take a look at it? And, and learned a lot about the local um, cottage industry that had flourished during Prohibition down here. But I did get an opportunity to build about 16 different stills over that period of a year. And uh, so when it, it came time for us to build a distillery, I was, I was you know, going to refine some things, but there really wasn't any doubt of how we would do it. Um, and we, we still make changes. I just yeah. made changes to, um, to one of the stills recently to kind of improve yield and it seems to be doing well. 
And we start off in five-gallon barrels because as a craft distillery, you want to make 10-month mistakes versus five-year mistakes. So <laughs> it, gives you, um, it gives you a chance to try out some things, make sure your mash bill, your process is right, and to get your customer. But our first bourbon sold out. I mean, it got us in Whiskey Advocate as Maryland's bourbon. Well, there you go. Well, Nobody, I don't think anybody else was making bourbon then, but anyways, it was, uh, you know, maybe we, we were one or two, but anyways, it was, but it wasn't a bad bourbon for a five gallon barrel. Sure. Because you can't age it that long in a small barrel. It just get way over. Yeah. Less surface area. It's going to get woody really quick. But it gives you a chance to get your minimum viable product. Make sure your, all your, um, your processes are down. Your We knew the mash bill was right. Cause we wanted again, go back to Basil Hayden, rye forward and do this here. Yeah, well, that's cool. Was was bourbon always the the baby? This this was what we're gonna make. Yeah, I mean, I I, I'm, I have a soft spot for rye, so we in fact we were making rye today. We do it about six times a year. I try to do it when it's gonna be cold because it's a big challenge in the distillery. The mashing process is a lot more difficult with with rye. It seems to be very hard to cool. It's like it's wearing a flannel shirt all the time. So uh, my wife hates it, but uh, we're gonna do that today since it's going to be nice and cold tomorrow morning. Cool, cool. Well, I know we, we have poured uh, the straight bourbon, right? Tell me about this. Um, I'm not sure the barrel. This is a, this is a 2018 barrel. Um, it's probably about a five-year, three-month, and 12-day or something like that. Uh, so this is um, aged in 53-gallon cooperage. It's, the rickhouse is um, it's long. It's not that tall. It's only four ricks high. And so this is not a wide temperature variation. It's kind of built into a hill too, but we'll hit 110 degrees some days in the summertime and it's below freezing sometime. Yeah. So you get one of the, <clears throat> one of the things we try to do is like most craft distilleries, because people want to know where they're getting things from, what's the sourcing on that. So we're extremely transparent. I mean, sure. there's our, our current bourbon right there. You know, when we planted the corn, when we harvest the corn, when we put it in a barrel, when we dumped it. That's so, cool. <clears throat> on each bottle, is is Dan's, you know, his OCD-ness. It's so this is our rye is six years, one month, and nine days. And and if we could fit more space, he'd have minutes and seconds off. <laughs> so uh, you know, we we have that. Our mash bill is real easy: 75 corn, 25 rye for bourbon. 75 rye, 25 corn for rye. Yeah. We just so it's a true Maryland rye cut with corn, even though Pennsylvanians think they made our rye back in the day. Everybody in Maryland who makes rye, they they cut it with corn just because it's has not it's not the right or wrong way. It's just local recipes. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's very good. That's uh very uh what's the proof on this it's everything's at 90 except 90? the bottled bond okay yeah no that that's a very smooth and and, and sweet bourbon it, it does have a lot of extraction of uh caramel in it yes you know we're, we're in kelvin cooperage now although this predated that switch mm -hmm. so, um, so it's a number three char mm -hmm. so we didn't have you know years to experiment we just went with number three because that's what most bourbons do are you at the point maybe you're not yet um but are you at the point where you can kind of play around and experiment with different things that you have you have what makes sense, but have you squirreled away a couple bottles or uh, barrels to say, I'm going to try this now? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we've done some skip over barrels. We've also done some aging in different barrels. We're just releasing a, uh, a bourbon that spent, what, two years in a Sagamore rye 
barrel. So it, bourbon finished in a rye barrel is kind of a collaboration thing. That sounds with, interesting. With uh, Sagamore. And I haven't tried that, so I'm, I'm anxious to try that. Uh, I had a little vineyard here for a while. So we, we had a 2016 really good vintage uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Barbera kind of blend. And uh, so I had an empty barrel sitting around a couple years ago. And we, we put some, actually some whiskey from Bourbon Mash in there. And it's going on how many years now? Coming up on six. So yeah. I've tried that. And that's that's kind of really neat. You know? Wow. You know, so we do this kind of diversionary type things. I've got some wheat whiskey out there just because when we were early on in our discussions about a distillery, um, Sean and I drank some wheat whiskey and said, we like this. So uh, we'll bring that out. But 99% of what we have in the Rick House is, is bourbon. So, but on that, we sell every bottle of bourbon we release. So when we do diversions, it's just minimal because we've got a, right now for bourbon, we don't know where we're gonna where we're gonna hit the upper limit on, and so in our bourbon house, so right. So on this bourbon, one thing I can tell you that's a little unique about this um, that we're drinking from, I believe this one was barrel entry proof at about 103. Oh, yeah. so you know it was um, <clears throat> it changes based on you know when we actually fermented it out. We tend to have, you know fight some of the the temperature controlling problems in August, and uh, so the yield may go up or down a little bit. But we we put it in two barrels, so we've gone as high. I think I actually have two barrels, maybe over 120 proof. The target 112 ish. Yeah. Uh, I know I have at least one barrel that's 98. <laughs> so so we're not adding a lot of water proof down to 90. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Mm. And we we're very transparent on everything. So we grow the corn here. We get the rye from the Mennonites that are like 12 miles away. We get um. Uh, our water is sourced from beneath the farm. It's an ancient aquifer, oh, so cool. it's uh, it's three hundred ninety-ish feet below us. We don't filter it. We don't process it. It comes out of the ground, and we make bourbon with it. That's unique. It's 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 yeah. pH is seven point two. It's pure water. There's yeah. nothing in it. Yeah, um, and and we're blessed to have that water there. It's um, uh, we know all well. We don't, my wife used to. She has her master's in water quality and environmental nonsense from. Vanderbilt. She used to do the water at uh, for Brown and Foreman down at Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. You know, all what goes on in processing water at, and there's nothing wrong. It's good water. Sure. It doesn't come out of the ground and go, and there, it, Lem Motlow's Cavern is not how it works. That's a great marketing campaign, but that's not how it happens. And it, it does I, taste different when we chill filter because I, I have you know experimented and, and done a like laboratory grade chill filtering. Just sure. we just don't like it. Um, yeah. So this gets a one micron dusting. Yeah, we don't chill to filter. Get any the that chunks nonsense. out of it. Yeah. Did you did you try that here or did you just learn that from the other places that you've tasted? No, we did it. We did it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We tried it. I mean, it's just it, it's not bad, and it, it, it looks prettier with you put you know big big ice cube in it. Of course, but uh, yeah, I think we're we're happy where this is. Yeah, no, this is a this is a great bourbon. Um, it, would you consider this your flagship? This is the bestseller, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, what's I'm gonna you know change it up because I thought we would we would um, jump to rye, but I think we ought to do the the uh, bottle and bond next. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to get your reaction to this because uh, a similar barrel, about the same age, but um, proof to 100, so you know not that much difference really. And uh, 
but I think it, it tastes entirely differently. I mean, it um, maybe that extra 10% just kind of, or 10 proof points. Is the age different at all? No, no. You're looking at maybe yeah, you know, a exact. couple months. Here's five years, three months, 28 days. Yeah. yeah. And oh. Dan, how many seconds? Yeah. <laughs> you know, to me, it's always interesting too. And I, the market's, the market, I've, I've, and I've learned this, you know, going around to different distilleries, but that they've, they've, people, more people are interested in proof heavy whiskeys. So bottle and bond and up cast strength stuff. And I don't know if it's just me, but I think there's a little bit more flavor packed in there when you have that higher alcohol content. Well, I think the alcohol um, is, a, is a flavor transport vehicle. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's going to, you know, Everclear is going to pull anything out of a lemon that you ever could imagine. And, and so I think it does help it help you taste it differently. But um, when you tell them what we did with the Esther project with Sam Oh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. So we pulled out samples, um, uh, new make, one year, two year, three, four, five, six, and got some college kids down at St. Mary's to, um, with a very kind and accommodating uh, organic chemistry professor to- um, <laughs> Inexpensive it, equipment. Yeah. <laughs> run it. I gave him a list of 20 or so of the 400 bourbon flavors. And I said, I'd like you to run this through your GC um, and tell me what you see here. And I, I'm still looking at the data. One of the things that was kind of weird, though, um, ethyl acetate. Uh, are you familiar with that? No. Okay. It's 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 probably the most prominent ester in bourbon. An ester is the love child of an acid and an alcohol. So the alcohol, uh, ethyl, ethanol, a lot of that in bourbon. It's the it's the um, the acid part that's a little interesting. The the acid is acetic acid, which is vinegar. Right. So you're always going to have some acetic acid if you do open top fermentation, because what happens with wine when it finishes making and then you let oxygen get into it, it continues on to make um, acetic acid. So ethyl acetate is ethanol hooking up with acetic acid. And it has uh, too much of it, it becomes a flaw. Uh, it boils very, very close to pure ethanol. So it tends to come out early on. In fact, you can, you can get most of it out in the four shots and get rid of it. But um, it has that kind of uh, fingernail polish note to it. Sure. And you'll, you'll get that in a lot of, uh, actually you get it in, in all bourbons, but it's, it's, I consider it a flaw if there's too much of it, but it's characteristic of the style. So you, you try to get the right amount of that. And, uh, and you see some of the new big distillers, the modern distilleries in, in Kentucky are going to close fermentation tops. You know, they're going to control that. They'll add it back in through process. Um, I think we had a good balance in it, but what the gas uh, chromatograph told us was we actually saw an increase in ethyl acetate yeah. as it aged. And I was scratching my head saying, wait a second, I'm figuring all of this was happening during fermentation. That was the likely path to creation. Right. The turn out, I think this is a hypothesis. And if anyone listening knows better, <laughs> let me know. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the oak is, is full of sugar. I mean, that's, that's what, when it comes flame and it goes through and ironically turns into, you know, caramel so as it as it's aging as the staves are aging that sugar exposed to wild yeast fermented at some level in the wood so i i, I think that in addition to tannic acid there's also acetic acid that was left over from the fermentation during the aging of the oak itself so now you hook it up with its buddy ethanol and you start making some additional acetic acid 
That's why I've never so heard. It's a hypothesis, by the way, not a theory. <laughs> I've never heard that uh, in depth, and that's what I love about this is that you like. I would never have known that, and the market doesn't know that. But those little nuances that change the flavor and the uh, presentation of the whiskey matters. It, it does. I mean, and you know, one of the things talking about cuts, <clears throat> every now and then we drink a lot of other people's stuff. Sure, and. Uh, you know, I, one of my early criticisms of ourselves was, well, it just doesn't taste like Evan Williams or it doesn't taste like Old Forester, you know, because you drink enough Kentucky bourbon, which is most of the bourbon in the United States. And it, it, it's it's amazing how similar they start tasting. They're all good, by the way. They just taste kind of similar. And you, so striving for uniqueness is, is kind of anathema to a large corporate industrial product oriented machine. Right. Um and, you know, when I, I was a little hypercritical early on, but now I've come around <laughs> to to appreciate the cuts we're taking because, you know, you, you do have to make that decision in a single barrel. When do you turn it off? You turn it off too soon and you don't get the N-butanol, the little bit of propanol, those heavy alcohols that, uh, again, in too, too large a quantity become a flaw, but they're going to form esters later in aging. So it's um, it's kind of... A real challenge to to get it right in a single barrel environment, but I think we're getting close. Well, that's a, a testament too to the craft part of this is that you know not every barrel and bottle will be the same. Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, while they make a good history and and and, and product, every bottle will look and taste the same. They have the resources to do so, but I think there's something to they have. Your bottle from 2016 is going to taste it different than your bottle from 2019. I love that. Absolutely. Our bottle yeah. in three months will taste different. <laughs> yeah. Well, even when we, by, by design, because it's open fermentation and each barrel is different. Right. Every barrel is going to give a different flavor. Yeah. So this we, bottle and bond, I don't know if <clears throat> I, I think it does taste different than the uh, than the 90 proof, but it also was a different barrel. It just may be that this barrel was happier. I will say that this is this is a lot different, but it's not in a bad way. It's a, it's in a it's in a unique way. Yeah. And that's why I like so is it the proof? Is it the, I know what it isn't. It's not the mash bill. So yeah, no, this bottle and bond is great. And it's, it's essentially the same juice, same mash bill, yep. but uh, obviously just within the bottle and bond act. Do you foresee this being the new baby that you've, is this, is this new? Have you done this before? Or? No, we just, this is uh, released what uh, a month ago, a month ago, but this is, this will go, this will be in distribution. So we have our <clears throat> our straight bourbon, and now bottom bond. They'll be in distribution. So we'll always. It's a product. It's not a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a thing called uh, Maryland Bourbon Cream. Those are the three things we have for distribution. We make more than that because you can't have two things that one people come in to taste. Right, right. How large is your distribution right now? Um, mainly. Well, it's, we're just in Maryland right now. We have some customers that. You saw, I mean, we're, we're on the Maryland Green Registry, so we're not hippies, but we do all this uh, environmental stuff. So I'm making the delivery of my Tesla. We're doing all these things here, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's for a couple of customers out there. We sell every bottle. That's cool. There's no shortage. So we, um, we, we will incrementally be starting to release. We're going to get to we're at a little bit over two barrels a month right now. We'll probably get to... Three and probably four at the end of next year. Yeah. I think when we look at our spreadsheet, sure. as we get to, because we we're not going to low be go below five years aged. 
And we're going to, it'll eventually get to six or so. It's probably where we're going to settle out at. And then we'll have, we're leaving some behind. So we'll have a, uh, a six and maybe an eight year straight bourbon. And then we'll have well, on some. Will those be like a limited release type thing? Just a, a one-off special? Six, See, I don't know. You know, a little bit of this is, um, how the market kept, how our marketing catches up with our production. Sure. Um, but we're making, I'm making plans to, to store seven years in the pipeline. I don't think that uh, physically we're, we can't, I don't have another place to build another building. So <laughs> seven is a, is a magic number, but um, it, truthfully, it'll be interesting for us to try those holdbacks, you know, cause we have a couple of, um, they're, they're 2017 barrels that we've jumped over. So, you know, they're already six years maybe start doing some uh, pulls out of those at eight years, yeah. see what it's like. And we'll have, we've had some, um, Maryland's coming up on its 400th anniversary in 2034. Okay. So last, this year on Maryland Day in March, we the, we took four barrels, bottled them on Maryland Day for- barreled them. The, barreled them for the Maryland 400 celebration. And then, but those, that's just those four barrels. We're thinking about doing a, a Maryland 400 bourbon that's, you know, 400 weeks. So, you know, it's almost eight years. Yeah. And that, that'll be a really solid verb. For sure. For sure. Did, do you find yourself trying to catch up to the register at all that you, you can't age more than five years? Or is that the sweet spot that you found for your bourbon? Yeah. True confession. I don't know what the sweet spot is. No, <laughs> you know, honestly, because I, I, the most, the oldest bourbon I've ever had is, yeah, five years, six months that we made. That we sure. made. Yeah. Sure. Um, and well, I, who is it? Booker? No. You know, he's kind of said, you know, you know, seven, eight years for Burmese, you know, does it get better? Yeah, maybe, but not appreciably. So, yeah, yeah I, here's the thing again, it, it's, you know, Booker Note was also blending. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, when you blend, you can when do, you blend, it's you different. have so many cool things you can do. I mean, you can take tails cuts and put them away for 15 years. Sure. And then put a increment and put like 3% of that back into a four-year-old and it might taste perfect. You know, it's, so I think that. My gut feeling is this is good. I think it's going to improve. I think that six and seven is going to be better. And, you know, we were adjusting. I, I, I made some minor changes to what we were doing with Stillhouse. Um, but I'm, I'm actually ecstatic that uh, we're releasing two out of the eight we make. That's a pretty good bow wave. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, we'll probably get up to three, four, five, but it's going to be a while before. We could we could release it all right now. It's five, but that's just too hard for us. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, I think we're we're gonna do it right. You know, whatever that is. No, that's good. And, and I mean, your I mean your your bottle presentation, your your logo, your the space that you have, it all adds to the 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 feeling of this is a cool homemade product. It, it, you know, it's it's well done. It's good marketing. Well, you know, when we when we're down here, we're only open on Saturdays and Sundays in the tasting room. Sure, but you know. Uh, this time of year, especially if it's not too cold, uh, we'll get we'll get some of our uh, longtime customers that come in and get a long pour and want to spend an hour and a half just sitting on the porch, sure, you know, watching the, the yeah. barley. I mean, come it's in. a great view. Yeah, looking over. Yeah. So, it's <clears throat> that was kind of the vibe we were trying to get here. How big is the farm? It's about forty acres. It was originally it was on this side of the road, and more was on the other side. But okay. that split off with my grandfather's brother took that half. My grandfather kept this half. Um, so it's about 40 acres, about 20 acres in production, the rest in woods. And, uh, I split the field into beans and corn and go, go back and forth because 
for our production, I need uh, about eh, 1,200 bushels a year. Okay. And I can get that um, in a good year. I can get that in eight, eight, nine acres. So pretty much 100% of the corn that we raise stays here. And I just, you know, combine it, we clean it and put it in grain bins. And that's, that's the process. It never leaves the farm. And then we have, um, we'll, we'll drink some rye here in a second. This We do all our rye kind of like over, all single barrel, a little bit over six years on the rye. But we are, um, we were on the Maryland Green Registry. So you just missed about 30 minutes prior. We had um, the people who pick up our spent mash that goes at BJ Bowling. He has cattle farm up the road. So he just dropped off some state. He has, he obviously has sheep. Uh, He's on lambs. Yeah, lambs. So we got lamb, beef, pork, and beef. He drops off, you know, I'll because well with bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he, we bet there was an episode of Maryland Farm and Harvest because they like, you know, because one, you're not dumping it. I right. mean, because if you're in a city, it's going down the municipal drain. And so uh, it's 22% protein on a dry yeah. weight basis. So, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good feed. And so uh, we asked BJ one time, he said, hey, uh, do you have to, how do you do this? Do you hold it back? He goes, oh, no, no, no. He goes, cattle are not smart. But when those girls see those blue barrels, they are hip checking each other to get to it. They, they really, because I guess it's a low pH, you know, it's like 4.6 or something. Spicy. They love yeah, it. spicy. They like, you know. Yeah, I've heard it's spicy sweet. I've heard also the rumors that there's like a, a just under 1% of alcohol still left in the grain. Uh, not, not in our plant. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pretty good at being able to convert Yeah, we're squeezing that. it out. It's uh, good. I think we'll like, Today in the stripping run, um, Susie will pump out when it's 212 degrees. So that's pretty close to. Yeah, you're not. You're mm, not going to. Nothing in there. Yeah. The, um, we did. We had found initially we had a local guy and his, his kids had a couple pigs and we gave them our, uh, our rye mash and Tulip, the pig, would not eat the rye mash, but she'd eat the bourbon mash. Yeah. Really? Now, yeah. And choosy pigs. Yeah. yeah. Well, tulip became bacon pretty soon after well, that. Anyway, you so. make choices in life. You make choices. <laughs> so I'm going to transition you to what is in your glass right now. That's yeah. okay. Because uh, this is my, I love our rye whiskey. Um, it's a six-year-old rye and rye matures a lot faster than bourbon. And I think that has to do with the oils that aren't in the rye mash. You know, corn oil. Right. Um, but so... This just, I think, is a is a really well balanced rye. Well, I'll cheers and it's a to true that. Maryland rye. It's cut with corn. Okay, you said seventy five percent rye, twenty five percent corn. Yeah, seventy five. Yeah, that's a good rye. And it, the funny thing is, the rye we had before this, the five year old, was in a thirty. We had some thirty gallon coopers, and it was different. Now I don't know if it was because it was younger, but it was much more citrusy. It had this real citrus note. It's still, it's still there in this. You know, that rye is really putting that in there. But this is just mellowed a little bit more. I think the extra aging, maybe different barrel. Yeah. I get that, that, that cut with corn, that corn sweetness really comes through. But there's a lot of, you say citrus. Yeah. That's a lot of orange peel that I get. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really it's, good. It's funny how it plays out because the first thing on the tongue is that sweetness. You, yeah. know, you get that almost on the nose, that caramel sweetness. And then it, it really has a, a lot of back end on it. It, it, there's a good hang time on this. It's, it stays with you. Unfortunately, we don't make a lot of this. Uh, <laughs> 16 barrels a year. Yeah. So we, 
We don't put this in distribution. Um, it's 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 on the shelf here. My goal is to keep it on the shelf here, <laughs> and uh, sometimes that's a little bit of a challenge. But uh, well, I know rye is uh, particularly hard to work with too. It, it is. It it clogs pumps. It doesn't want to chill down. Uh, it's it's a mess to clean up. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's some things don't rain. <laughs> you know, they you have to. I mean, the Mennonites they have the the cleaner in the county because rye unlike corn corn. You can get it. Yeah, there's stuff in it, and you can semi-clean yourself. Well, Rye, you have to run. You have to, and you have to consolidate it. Sure. Because you have to get it. Plus, there's, what is it, fetch or vetch or whatever. Vetch. Gets in yeah, vetch yeah. gets in it. and Garlic, it, which, yeah, you know, would probably make a really good bagel, but I'm not sure I want to add that to my mash bill. And garlic-aged whiskey. <laughs> have you thought about going into different spirits just to to try it like a like a gin or a vodka i know it's see i've learned a lot too is that in whiskey dumb people like to use their white spirits to make money that's easy to sell but there's a lot of experimental stuff going on with you know hey gin that's not pine sol and we age it in a bourbon barrel i've seen some of that yeah i've yeah. tried any oh actually it's uh, i did try some we um a couple years ago we went over to england to do a little um uh collaborative discussion with British Bourbon Society and some other folks and, and got an exposure to a lot of the, the craft stuff that was going on in London at the time. And, and gin was probably, well, not surprisingly, a little bit more popular than than their whiskey rebellion. Sure. But they're they're picking up after that. Part of the challenge is equipment. We, you know, the, our still was designed um, by us to to do really to do a sweet spot for um, distillate coming out. I think our, we, we hit about 136 Okay, that, that's kind of where we are for our hearts. Code. We can't make vodka. You know, I mean, if, just, if I try it, because one ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. I could get one ninety, maybe you know, what, maybe one sixty. Well, you know, if we if we if we saved our four shots, we could probably give you you know one sixty five or something like that. But it so it would be a requirement. We'd have to change how we did you that. You need a different. You need a different equipment. And and honestly, um, yeah, I. I'll I'll enjoy a martini every now and then, you know, or gin and tonic. But if, if we want a good gin, we'll buy somebody else's good gin. Yeah, I'm just play, play, play choose from plenty of good Maryland stuff. Yeah, you know, in fact, I'm I'm a big fan of a, of a of a Sazerac because I'm I like all things New Orleans and I like our rye. But you know, we don't do absent. But uh, with Tenth Ward, Tenth Ward makes an absent. I have I think I have every one. They have like six different absents. So. You know, they're, they're different colors and flavors and everything. So I, I, I unfortunately, guys, I just bought a lifetime worth of your product. So <laughs> don't, I don't, don't go through a lot of it. But. I think there's Gray Wolf makes a gin. They're pretty good. And they're, in fact, they're with, if you haven't been to um, Wyan, they're on the Eastern Shore. They're on so my list. Jamie, Wenda, and she, uh, they kind of share the still with uh, Gray Wolf. Okay. Both make, so she's more rum focused. They make some rye. They make some gin. They're really good stuff. So like a. If I ever want gin, I'm going to them. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and, and Rachel and Richie Copsey at Southern Trail, they have a still that um, they can crank all the way up. So they're doing, they do a vodka, they do uh, a lot of really clean moonshines that they flavor out in a lot of different ways and a super solid rye whiskey. Um, so they, they yeah, yeah they, they kind of can fit in that with their equipment. We're kind of stuck where we are in the whiskey world. So when, I'll tell you a little, so, when Dan, you know, he's he, all the moonshiners think he's the ag extension agent around here. So when we when we were making our first uh, batch of bourbon, Dan said, "Hey, I need to get some rye." So I know the the uh, the Mennonites over in a place called Loveville. So I went down there and I said, "Hey, uh, I need to get get some rye." 
And I wasn't sure if they were down with the alcohol connection yet. Oh yeah. But they have no problem. And so they, <laughs> so um, <laughs> Mr. C goes, uh, well, what you need to ask, huh? And I said, well, I need me a 16 bushels of rye. He goes, uh, doesn't sound like you're making bread. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, Henry, I'm going to be making me some whiskey. He goes, well, if you do, you're the only one that's legal. <laughs> he goes, at that point, I realized they're like the uh, the logistics chain for the moonshiners in the county because <laughs> they have the, the, the rye cleaning machine. Sure. And if you need to get rye in January, that's what you're using it for. <laughs> 16 bushels of rye, you're not making bread. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Wow. It's just like during Prohibition, if you got 80 pounds of sugar at the store, they knew you were doing something. Or more like 8,000 pounds. Yeah. 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 That's, that's awesome. Do you, think, do you think part of the market that, I mean, there's a perception in the market that, you know, you have the store, you do these things locally, you have your own farm, you have this craft operation, you, you designed your own still, and you guys are, you know, three friends doing this together. Do you think the perception of the market is like, hey, that, that whiskey's better because of that story? Uh, I don't know. I, I do. I mean, I like knowing um, that I'm eating local when I'm eating local. Yeah. You know, and and I I think that helps. It certainly it it brings people in here with an open mind. And I think early on there was a um, you know everyone has has taken a trip to Kentucky and, and everyone knows you can't make bourbon anywhere but Kentucky and and, and that. there's a little bit of that and that, that comes in every now and then. But generally, I think everyone's just you know yeah and they have, have a good um, time. I think being transparent and telling everybody, you know, there are no secrets in this business. So here's our mash bill. Here's where we get our water from. Here's where we get our grains from. Here's our process. Here's what we do. Um, and then um, we, that's the thing. So we just got, we were in uh, a double blind contest. So it's American Craft Spirits Association. Sure. So they, they do it, but it's underwritten by the American grain producers. So, because it's all about using local. So every, we're a farm distillery because we grow our corn, but you don't have to be a farm distillery to do it. As long as you get your grain from your state to do it and you're under a hundred thousand proof gallons or something, which is all the craft distilleries. Right. So as double blind, we were, we're the number one farm distillery in America. That's so, awesome. In fact, the governor's coming here in a couple of weeks to give us our, uh, recognition and then we have a uh, Be Becky might come from Katakin because she's on the board of uh, American Craft Spirits Association we have the um the president coming out of the CEO she's coming and so uh the governor's have to go this guy did did you beat Kentucky <laughs> a, yes we did here's the list of everybody that was in there so yeah I said now it wasn't Jack you know it you know it wasn't Blanton's it wasn't Buffalo Trace because they aren't allowed to do it. It's it's all the craft people. But there's the craft distillery. I said, okay, okay, we just want to make sure. That's awesome. Yeah, there's there's something weird that I I, I I'm starting to notice it more and more is that, especially because the market's blown up with bourbon. Bourbon specifically has this nature of oh, it's 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 Buffalo Trace. It's 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 the thing that you know. And people like sweeter things generally. And you know, rye is still trying to come back up since Prohibition, but. I, uh, as much as I love all the products coming out of Kentucky, and they, Kentucky itself has some craft distilleries oh, yeah, yeah, that are yeah, great yeah. too. Yeah, but um, Peerless is really good. Peerless is great. Yeah, yeah Wilderness Trail. Yeah, uh, I, I, I uh, Nulu, 
um, I think their, their, their distillery is called Prohibition Distillery or whatever, but Nulu Toasted Barrel is some of my favorite, favorite stuff. I tour their flight on my bachelor party, but different, different story that my wife does not need to hear. Uh, but uh, I appreciate the, the smaller craft ragtag blood, sweat and tears story that I, Buffalo Trace and, and, and them, they started that way. And I don't think there's a, 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 a goal in the market for what you guys are doing to become that. This is, this is where the, 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 the money and the, and the, the fun and the hobby is, is this small little operation. Yeah, you know, the, what is there, 2,800 craft distilleries? Oh, yeah. Know, and there's like 16 big ones, and then there's 2,800 little ones. Right. Like, that's okay. We're one of those. Yeah. No, that's great. It's okay. Well, we're not, you know, we're not going to, Brown and Foreman is not nervous because we're selling Burton. I can tell you that. No. And, they'll, they'll, and they also have access to 230 different countries. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So who cares? I don't know. It, you know, I, I, I've never said anything bad about, um, well, one, there's one release that I'm not fond of, but uh, I, I won't mention that name. But generally, it's hard for me to not appreciate a bourbon. Yeah. And regardless of who makes it, I'll find something useful about it. Yeah. Um, you know, some are, some are uh, especially some of the craft bourbon that I've tasted, um, they could probably make some minor changes and significantly improve it. Um, but generally, it's just, you know. If you ever heard or listened to, I think it's Taylor Cope. He's, he's a pretty good bourbon guy from Kentucky. He has a great thing about, you know, uh, bourbon is a wide berth, you know, and it's nice to try it all. Yeah. You don't have to have one, you know, so you're not trying to get one. There's a lot of bourbon, you know, sure. you just see what you, there's no right or wrong. There's no, hey, some people like weeded bourbon, some people like rye bourbon. Okay. It's whatever you like. You know, I, I used to do a lot of travel. Now, I haven't done anywhere near as much in the last couple of years, but I mean, a lot of travel around the world. And, um, you know, I, I drink Woodford Reserve. Sure. Pretty much because it's always there and I like it. <laughs> yeah. And it holds up in a cocktail. It holds up in a cocktail, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I drink, you know, unabashedly, um, Bullet Rye, so I, which is a good which MGP. Is, uh, it's the product. best MGP Rye around. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's that's right. a good job. Well, and and I was going to say too with Buffalo Trace that that you know you know it's it's a good bourbon. It's not worth the secondary markup that is going on right now. It like likes a DC or or my hometown of Wisconsin, which is unfettered, unregulated. You can buy a whiskey in Walmart, you know, but <laughs> as you should, as you should be able to, right? But. There's like something in that people hear that name and they think, oh, it's quality. And that's not wrong, but it's not a $200 bottle. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I will never turn down an Eagle Rare that somebody hands me. For sure. Yeah, you know, I'll turn down a benchmark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they come off, this, it's the same mash bill and the same still. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, the, uh, hey, one of you, we're going to go to our last thing here. Yeah. Dan's going to talk about our Maryland bourbon cream. So my wife and I took a, a bicycle trip um, through uh, Kentucky and uh, stopped into Buffalo Trace and did a, uh, you know, did the obligatory Ellis Island tasting experience with <laughs> 2000 of our friends, all mask wearing at the time. Of course. And uh, they, they finished up with, with their bourbon cream. And at the time, I was looking for a uh, a sweeter version of something that we could bring here because up to now, it's been our honey-flavored rum. Because we started out actually making rum. And there's a little bit of a rum backstory. I'm doing it in reverse. And we don't make rum anymore, but we have some aging six, seven-year-old rum out there. And, and every now and then, I take a barrel out and add seven gallons of local honey. And it's a it's a difficult, difficult time. But it has its fans as a, as a kind of a sweet thing. 
So I was looking for a replacement. I came back and said, I got it. We're going to make bourbon cream. Uh, we made our first batch, which was about 400 cases. Yeah, something like that. About a year ago. And we said, well, that's going to last 400 cases. That's going to last us all a year. And it was gone. And we started, we did it in October, mid, mid-October. It was gone by Christmas Eve. Wow. So we just did our fourth batch. Um, the difference is it's got it's got good stuff in it. So this has four-year-old um, bourbon in it. Yeah, so the difference is <clears throat> Buffalo Trace, good company, good quality, but they have vice presidents, directors, PowerPoint charts. They would not put a four-year-old bourbon in there because they would veto that immediately. That is a bad business decision. Sure. <laughs> and you know why we have a four-year-old bourbon in here? It's it's not because of the absence of vice presidents. <laughs> it's because it was the easiest barrel to get to. <laughs> really? Yes, yeah. really. I said, if I have to go dig through and find a three-year-old, which is normally where we go is a three, I'm going to have to move like 10 barrels by myself. They weigh 600 pounds. I'm not doing that. I'm taking that one. <laughs> Your day is up. Your number's up. Oh, that's fantastic. So it, have you have you now uh, pigeonholed yourself to that this is so good? It is very, very, very good. But it's a four-year-old bourbon in here. No, nah, no. Nah, it's, it's, <laughs> honestly, in here, I'm not sure I could tell much of a difference between our three-year-old yeah. and our four-year-old. Yeah, you do. But, um, <laughs> no, but this, this has become um, wildly successful. And we used to think what would happen is that our bourbon fans would buy this and, as a gift, maybe, or drink it if they win their coffee or whatever. And, and you know, it would just be kind of a replacement for the uh, the, the honey flavored rum. But I, I now have a new hypothesis, untested with actual data, that's well, some data suggests it may be the other way around. It may be the the bourbon cream is drawing a a, a wider range of customers here, who then are buying a bottle of bourbon for their spouse or their friends or their dad or their mom or whatever. So it's it's not everybody drinks bourbon, right? Yeah, you know? right. Hard for and us to believe. Is, if somebody's a wine drinker, they'll drink that. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So it's it's become part of our family now, and, and I, I love it. It's, it's on brand. It's um, it's Maryland bourbon cream, and what's not to like about it? So other than making it, that's no. not to like about it. That would go great in my coffee every morning. I, it, it would replace my coffee. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, you guys have a great lineup, and uh, I know you have some rum that, that has an interesting story. Um, I don't know if you want to maybe quick give you the elevator pitch on that, because the USS Constellation story that I've seen online and news has been about, people love that history. Well, it was, um, we get, we're a bourbon distillery, and then, uh, like I was saying, I was in the Navy. Uh, I'm a retired admiral, so I was commissioning the USS, I was the commissioning chair of the USS Zumwalt, the largest destroyer in history. So then, and I asked Dan and Sean, I said, hey, can we make some rum? And they said, no. And I said, well, <clears throat> what if we can make an all Maryland rum? And they said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because they didn't realize that Maryland makes about 11% of the nation molasses. Because we have a domino factory up in Baltimore. So, because uh, me, I'm a Navy guy. Navy rum's made out of, of molasses. So we got that and they grumbled and and whined at me and they seated to do that. So we did a little bit of that for the, for the commissioning ceremony. And then because of that, I was a chairman of historic ships in Baltimore, which includes the USS Constellation. So we had some more barrels. We loaded on the ship to age them on the ship. 
Um, and then we did that for about four years. And then during COVID, one of the industrious, uh, I think he was probably in a uh, insurance agent up there, said, called me up and said, hey, uh, do you have rum on the ship? She says, that's dangerous. I said, compared to what? Yeah. And, and he said, well, you know, what's it's as risky. I said, well, risk is a pretty broad term. What does risk mean? He goes, well, you know, there's, I said, listen, I have 350 years of actuarial data from the British, French, and Dutch Navy. There's never a fire, an explosion, or anything from wooden rum barrels on wooden ships. And I go, well, we did, we just, so anyway, see, so you just, as they, there's an old country song saying you can't fix stupid. So <laughs> we just had to, pull, we finished that one and we're never able to put it back on, even though we donated back to the ship. We're trying to help out tourism in Baltimore, but the, uh, the insurance company just couldn't get over it. That's hilarious. Wow. It's either hilarious or sad. Well, yeah, you, most things are both, but wow. So this is what uh, I have right here. So that's 80 proof. That's just 100% molasses, water, nothing else, aged about five years, and he used bourbon girl. Does, uh, does anything with it aging in the ship, does it add to that, or is it just kind of a, a story? Yeah, because it's always moving around. Just sloshing around, so. Oxidation. I see. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it works, yeah. So, and people say, well, it didn't really move. I said, well, if you should see it. You know, the last one we had seven nor'easters in it. <laughs> there's some sloshing in that. <laughs> That's very good. Plus, it's continually moving all day. So there's there's people that are doing all sorts of weird stuff trying to increase aging. So they'll take a uh, little uh, worm screw hydraulic. You know, they'll move the ricks up and move them down. It's this. It's the same movement. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, hey, the story helps too. It's on the USS Constellation. Yeah. I mean, it's a plus. It's kind of a. Uh, Actually, I don't think it's historically correct because I think the rum they were drinking back then wasn't that good. Uh, but it was in barrels and it was made from molasses and water. That's all they used. Right. Because molasses was basically an industrial waste product in the 17th century. Right. That's why they made rum out of it for sailors. They weren't doing it because it tasted Right. Right. Well, that's cool. Well, you guys have a great lineup and uh, that, that bourbon cream, that's, uh, that's dangerous, I will say. But uh, you have a cool story, cool operation going here, and I appreciate you having me and, and, and sampling your product. But um, is there anything big coming up or anything we can point to that uh, that people look forward to from Tobacco, Far uh, Tobacco Barn Distillery, or is this what we have? I think we're pretty much going to be with this. I mean, we have, uh, like I was saying, we have the governor coming down in a couple weeks. He's going to be down here to present us our national award, and then we... Um, we're pretty much going to be, we just started the bottle and bond. So that's, is a new product that's kind of coming out here now. And that will be a standard product. That's not a, a one barrel we're going to do. We're going to keep pushing out bottle and bond all the time. Right. Well, very cool. And we're not trying to be, have a new thing every year, every quarter. Right. It's, it's what it is, what it is. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate this and, uh, obviously our whiskey kinship, but, uh, Cheers to you and what you're doing. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming down. Of course. Cheers. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews, the easier we are to find. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss any of our updates. Be sure to share this episode with your friends, and always be sure to drink responsibly. There are quite literally thousands of distilleries, so we're just getting started. Stay tuned for more conversations with master distillers, distillery owners, mixologists, and even bar owners, and more. Cheers. Cheers.